Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In the fall of 2010, a single kinder travels to the Twin Cities of Minnesota to answer the call of an elder of his clan. Join us as Marco Giovanni is pulled by family loyalty into a strange territory in which he is forced to strengthen his family's influence, yet at the same time avoid destroying himself with his own dark desires. Hello, and welcome to Twin Cities by Night Eidolon. Twin Cities by Night Eidolon is a Vampire the Masquerade duet story with Adam playing Marco Giovanni and Chris as the storyteller. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, where you can find up-to-date news and a link to our Discord. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the character creation session slash prelude for Twin Cities by Night, Edelon. A little backstory here. I want to kind of give a little introduction for those who are listening to exactly what my goals with this chronicle are, where it kind of fits into everything before we kind of delve into the character creation. So Eidolon will be the will be the fourth story arc in the Vampire the Masquerade Twin Cities by Night Chronicle, the first being Negligence, second Homecoming, third Dread, and then Eidolon will be the fourth. It'll take place in the same continuity as those three, along with Vampire the Masquerade Wars by Night and Ghoul's Fatal Addiction Servitude. So it's part of that larger canon that I've been building there with the Twin Cities by Night Chronicle. It will be taking place uh, roughly one month after the event ending of Dread. It will be taking place in the fall of 2010. We will Some of the themes we'll be dealing with are like death, obviously. Um, we'll be dealing with loss. We'll be dealing with family will be dealing with fate in a way and what you what people other than you have decided your goal and purpose will be it's gonna be fun it's going to be taking place like i said in the fall the 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 fall setting i feel is a great backdrop to such a story as we're gonna be telling here which is gonna kind of be like i said a supernatural personal horror ghost story and so the death that you see of fall coming with winter i think is kind of like a perfect setting for a tale that's going to be told about a Giovanni. So what do I mean by that tale being told by, about Giovanni? This chronicle is going to be a duet chronicle, very much inspired by uh, the esoteric order of role players and their Vampire the Masquerade chronicle, which they just wrapped up like the first third of it. If you guys want to go check that out. The thing that I like about it is that when you have two players in there, you could kind of, it's more of a back and forth, but also you can take a deeper dive into character development. And that's one thing that I'm really super excited about doing. One of my goals with the Twin Cities by Night gang is to have at least every player somehow contribute to the larger Twin Cities by Night canon that, that I've been creating. Now, we have different stories, different games going on that aren't tied into this, but this is kind of like one shared Vampire the Masquerade universe that I've been trying to create here. So I thought, what better person to have than Adam from our gang? Now, those of you who may not know, Adam ran Change the Loom, The Laws of Vanity. He's also played in a ton of games. His first game he played in was the Chronicles of Darkness, the ultimate evil story that I also run. I feel that Adam and I have a chemistry of sort when we when we play together, when we have scenes together, especially seen in, in I think, in the ultimate evil. And then in the recent Delta Green uh, Operation Big Stick scenario that we recorded together that should be released by the time you guys hear this. So I'm very honored to have him here. And to be honest, that's one of the things that inspired me to do this is because hearing the chemistry that uh, David Larkins and Desiree Valdez have in their duet, I think it really pulls people in. So that's one of my goals I hope to accomplish here. So 
I guess this is what better opportunity here, Adam, to tell the world hi. <laughs> Say hello, Adam, now. <laughs> hey, what's up? Honored to be here. Honored to be uh, taking part in the uh, greater Twin Cities by Night story. Oh, yeah. It's fucking pretty rad here, man. Like, I'm really, really excited. I've been excited about this for a while. We're going to do the character creation here. So there's going to be two parts to this. You're going to hear where we go over the dots. We create, you know, this character together, discuss some certain aspects of here, kind of flesh it out. And then we're going to have like a kind of a narrative prelude where we're going to even flesh out the character more, go over some of this backstory that leads to the beginning, that leads to the beginning of Twin Cities by Night Eidolon. So I'm really excited for this. Now, this isn't going to be the official first session, but this will be really critical, I think, to the character. One other thing I want to add before we continue on is that my goal, and I don't know if we'll be completely successful in this, but my goal is to make it to where someone can listen to this chronicle and not feel the need to listen to the other Twin Cities by Night Canon stuff. Now, of course, it will, a lot more stuff will probably make sense, but my, my goal that I would like to try to, to accomplish here is to make it to where this is a story about this Giovanni character set in the setting. Now, there's going to be NPCs that cross over and events that cross over, of course, but if you're listening to this for the first time and you haven't checked out uh, any of our previous stuff, I hope that by the time this chronicle is done, you're able to listen to this without having to, but if you want to, go back and listen to some of our older stuff you can really uh, kind of catch up and see where a lot of the threads of the story are, are leading to. So, all right. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this character creation, man. Right. I'm pretty fucking stoked. So I guess my first question is, Adam, is what is your character's name? Have you thought about his name yet? So his name is Marco. And uh, is his last name? This is something I wanted to ask you. Does he have the, the family last name or would he have a, a different last name? I would say he has the family last name. Okay. okay? And I'm, we're going to get into some of that in the backstory, like an idea I have. Of course, I don't know if it's going to fit exactly. We'll see by the time we're done here. But yes, you can run with the Giovanni last name. For a lot of those who, who may not know, listening, there's subfamilies within the Giovanni clan. But Adam has decided to play, you know, kind of the root family there, the, the Giovanni himself. So Marco Giovanni. I like that. That's really nice. Very Italian sounding. Now we're going to avoid all Italian stereotypes like Adam, who's I think you're half Italian too, right? Are you full blood Italian or are you half Italian? I'm, I'm half Italian. I'm half Italian too, so I'm really trying to like avoid. I don't want like my mom's side of the family coming after me. And be like, you don't yeah. miss up pronounce a no, pizza. No fire. soprano shit. No, no soprano uh, shit. None of that Jersey, shit. Like uh, yeah, yeah Jersey Shore. None of that shit. None of that. All right, so we got a name. So his name is Marco Giovanni. Really nice. Let's go ahead and talk about. We know the clan is Giovanni that you're playing. Let's talk about your nature. What's your what's your true nature within and 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 for I don't know if you have the list in front of you. We're by the way playing revised edition that people uh, want to follow along. But on page one hundred four, there's a list of natures. Which nature do you think fits your character well? The nature that I was kind of toying with using was masochist. Oh, oh um, shit! And I think it kind of it'll make more sense when you hear what the demeanor I've chosen is. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. What's the demeanor? Tell me the demeanor. So the demeanor is director. He's somebody who likes to run the show, likes yeah. to be in charge of things, likes that control. But he's a masochist because he is constantly pursuing this thing that he loves. He really likes it, but it's really it really hurts him as well. Is it sexual or is it more logical or what? His his pursuit of necromancy and stuff like that it's interesting to him he likes it but also it's just something that he pushes himself to the limit Ooh. to like 
he probably does have some kind of psychosexual aspect of that as well, because we'll be getting into this later, but the uh, clan curse. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, the Giovanni curses, rather than inflict the kiss or ecstasy, they actually cause extreme amounts of pain when they feed off people, which is really a fucked up curse if you think about it. And, you know, to add to the masochist thing, you know, masochism isn't just like a sexual thing, too. Like you said, you're pushing yourself to the limits for necromancy, causing yourself emotional, spiritual, physical trauma, I'm sure, in the process of it. So, yeah, I like that. Like, you, you have that... I don't want to say stereotypical, but like that director controller person on the outside, but inside is they're just someone who continuously victimizes himself in the pursuit of knowledge, I guess, in this case, you know, or pleasure. And other people, so many years of just feeding on people and hurting people. He's not like he's grown accustomed to it. And uh, it's just part of his personality, I guess, is just doing that to people. And that's a good point you're bringing up to, to people who are listening. Adam's character, Marco, he's been uh, roughly a vampire since 88, 89, the same amount as the characters from the other three Twin Cities by Night Chronicles. I just like it. I don't know. It's cool to kind of keep him in that 30-year time frame. I think it's enough to know that you're eternal, but enough to kind of still somewhat be tied to the society and your humanity and things that surround you. So awesome. And the controller will get into that, too, because I can see how that can actually um, fit into like some of the ideas we talked about before. So step two is select attributes, prioritize the three categories, physical, social, and mental, or seven, five, and three. Your character automatically has one dot in each attribute. So what did you put seven dots in? Okay, so I put the seven dots in social. I went with two charisma. I feel like Marco is, he's comfortable with like conversation and, and talking and stuff like that. He awesome. has two in manipulation. Is that for a total of three? Or yeah, for three? a total of three. Yes, yeah. for a total of three. Sorry. No, go ahead. And he has three in appearance for a total of four. So he's uh, kind of a handsome guy. So three in charisma, three in manipulation, and four in appearance? Yeah. Nice. So, so what did you put five into? I put my five into mental. I put two dots into perception for a total of three, one dot into intelligence for a total of two, and two dots into wits for a total of three. Very, very nice. And then, of course, we know that the three go into physical. How did you space those out? Uh, I just did uh, one dot in strength, one dot in dex, and one dot in stamina. Just kind of wanted him to be a little bit like well-rounded in that regard. He's not much of like a muscular guy or like you know like an athlete or anything like that. He's relatively average in that regard. So now that we have the attributes fleshed out, let's talk, uh, give me a description on kind of like what your character looks like, you know, like his facial features, his hair, his, his, his build and stuff like that. Yeah, sure thing. He's kind of like average height, a little bit thinner build. He has dark olive skin, Mediterranean. Okay. Um, his hair is, it's a little bit longer for like short hair. It's curly, dark hair, but he actually like tries to comb it back or like like smooth it back, and like he could probably be mistaken for like maybe some something that's like not Mediterranean. Oh, like like maybe mixed race or something. Yeah, like or yeah. yep, exactly. He has like uh, dark brown eyes. He has like a longer nose. He kind of has like very defined like facial features. 
Roman sharp, like sharp. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Okay. So now that we've covered that, let's talk about the abilities. You can prioritize the three categories, talent, skills, and knowledges, 13, 9, and 5. And remember that you cannot put more than three into any of them at this moment. Okay. So I put my 13 into knowledges. So I did two dots of academics, one dot of computer. I went with three dots in finance. He knows like a bit about business and how the business world works and who the movers and shakers are. One dot in investigation, three dots in occult. I had three politics. I'm actually going to do two politics and I'm going to put a, a dot in investigation. So it'll be two investigation and uh, two politics. Okay. What did you put nine into? Nine I put into talents. So two in alertness, one in athletics. I did one in brawl, one in dodge, one in intimidation, one in streetwise, and two in subterfuge. And then I take it you are putting in the five and the skills. What are you putting those into? Uh, so I went with one in drive. Okay. Uh, two in etiquette because he knows how to operate around the family and around other groups and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, one in firearms. Okay. And one in stealth. All right. Now, one thing I want to do before we continue on, I want to go back to your attributes for appearance. You have four. That can means you can have a specialty, which in revise means you can re-roll tens if it involves anything. Like, what are some examples you can think of? You know, one example could be like piercing stare, or it could be sexy looks, or boyish charm. You know what I mean? Or you mentioned your, 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 your sharp features. You know what I mean? Like nobility, look, the look of nobility to you or something to that extent. What are some ideas you have about a special? Yeah, I really, I kind of like what you're, where you're going with like look of nobility. I don't really know like how you would describe it. His features do just make him look like he's like important. And um... Oh, for sure. Or for sure. I mean, not to sound callous, but I mean, I'm really going to sound callous, but there's, there are some people you can look at and you can tell they're going to be dumbasses just by how they look. Sure, that sounds horrible, you know, but like, so when people see you, they can kind of tell you're from like, you know, I mean, it doesn't mean you're intelligent, doesn't mean you're a good person, but they can tell at least you're from like a line of like nobility. All right. So let's talk about some advantages. So first you're going to choose three dots and disciplines. And with you being a Giovanni, your disciplines are necromancy, potence, and dominate. Now with necromancy, how it works is you will have dots in necromancy and whatever dots you spend in necromancy, you're going to have automatically in this, uh, how do you pronounce that? The sepulcher path. So let's go ahead and talk about that right now. What are you going to put your dots in for, for your disciplines? For my disciplines, all three dots are going into necromancy. Hell yeah. Which gives you three dots in the sepulcher path. Now, for those of you who may not know, understand what that is, we're just going to cover Real quick, we're not going to go like super deep dive into it, but what necromancy is, is the, well, I don't even know, like in current editions, what's like, I mean, even in revised, it wasn't exactly true, but it's generally the discipline that is tied to the Giovanni. Now there's some bloodlines, I think, like the Harbinger of Skulls. I don't know. They may not have necromancy, but there's mostly it's known as almost like thaumaturgy for the most part is known as like a, a Tremere discipline, even though there's thaumaturgy everywhere in revised which is horrible but necromancy is like tied to the giovanni and the first path of necromancy is the sepulcher path and that is like usually the core path 
that is tied to necromancy and how it works again is for whatever dots you spend to raise your necromancy automatically that path will be raised now at a certain point you can learn other paths which we will talk about as uh it goes on now we looked up the system here and basically uh you have to have three levels and the sepulchre path before you can learn other paths which we'll talk about later on but the sepulchre path has three uh basically kind of allows you to deal with like i get just like wraiths and souls in a way you know and so the first dot's insight where the power allows the necromancer to stare in the eyes of a corpse and see what the last thing the dead person witnessed you have summon soul where you can you know what it sounds like summon a soul like a pell of soul which can allow you to try to get the soul to do something for you so that's where we're at right now with disciplines we're going to probably i bet take a deeper dive in that when we go into spending freebies so then next you're going to have backgrounds five dots and backgrounds what do you think about throwing those backgrounds in sir okay so for backgrounds i wanted two dots in resources two dots in spirit slave and this is a background from the giovanni clan book it's on page 67 67 spirit slave um, basically I'm going to read this out loud for people who don't know the trait represents a hold you have over a ghost or several ghosts. Usually this hold is in the form of a katana, either something that the ghost valued highly in life or possibly a random object or place to which the spirito, uh, became attached during the maelstrom. I have an idea by the way, about one of your ghosts. So it's going to progress the story. Uh, regardless, you have a hold over the spirit and can bully it by threatening it's better. Alternatively, you might have information about the spirit's goals and can control it by aiding or impeding uh, it. For more information on what ghosts can do and uh, ratings or background, see spirit slaves and box on page 54, which we'll talk about as we go on. But two dots gives you, you have influence over two minor ghosts or one of the great, or uh, one of greater power. Which one would you like? I had an idea uh, that he would be hanging on to like a fetter or like an anchor of his mother's ghost. Yeah, I was going to say that because I have ideas about his mother. We kind of mentioned before and I kind of, yeah, the mother thing. Yeah, so let's go with that. If you want the one strong mother or I can make your mother weaker, it's your call. We can make your mother weaker. I have another one, but I'm thinking stronger to be honest for what I have idea in the story. You know what That's I mean? That's what I was thinking too. Like, especially if she's, you know, a spirito of like somebody in the family and stuff. Oh, like sure. she might be a, yeah. she might be a greater power. Mm -hmm. ghost for sure for sure i agree all right so we have that so that's three dots and or four dots in background what are you going to spend your last dot in okay so my last dot i want a retainer i don't even know if it would necessarily be a ghoul i think maybe it would be a ghoul though actually someone you gave um, a proxy kiss to yeah i mean I, I would want it to be something that he did like maybe in service to the family. Like they said, you're going to give so-and-so the proxy kiss and he, he has to go along with that. And I have an idea that brought up an idea to why you're doing that. Uh, I don't have an idea quite yet of the ghoul, but we can always like hash that out and figure that out. But I have an idea why you did it. You know, like you said for the family, but what led to that? For those of you who don't know, we keep saying the proxy kiss. Basically the proxy kiss is the, uh, what the Giovanni call make ghouling someone. And there's usually this, and we're going to talk about the embracing or whatever later on, but usually it's this selective process of who they're going to ghoul in the family to kind of prepare. Not, not, not everyone who becomes a Canite in the Giovanni clan was ghouled before. That's not, that's not a requirement, but some are, you know? And so like, basically that's what the proxy kiss is. Someone in the family that you're making them, I guess, by proxy, a, a, a Canite. 
All right, so we have that, and then we have virtues. You have seven dots you can put in the uh, conscious self-control and courage. You have one dot in each already. So what? how you uh splitting those seven dots up? So I put two dots into conscience, two dots into self-control, and three dots into courage. That in return makes it to where your humanity, because we talked about Marco having a path, but Adam chose to keep him on humanity, which is perfectly fine. So that's where you're going to add your conscience and self-control, which is going to give you a humanity of six. And then willpower for now is equal your courage, which is currently four. So what I like to do before we spend freebies is to do merits and flaws. So what we do is a seven up, seven down rule in Twin Cities by Night for merit and flaws, where you can the most you can get from flaws is seven points. And the most you can spend in merits is seven points. So have you looked over any merits or flaws that you're interested in taking? Dude, is it bad that I like just don't really dig any of the merits or flaws? No, it's not. If you don't want any, yeah, you don't have to do any, man. Like if none like, of like fitting what you want, you know, like I don't. Yeah, that's the thing. Them. It's like, I mean, I could, I could pick one, but like none of these really like. Yeah. And I, I mean, if there's not any in the Giovanni idea. book and there's not any in revised, there's nothing that says you need merits or flaws, bro. I really don't care if you do it or not, you know? All right. Let me take one other quick look at one thing. Right. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to take any. I was also thinking about doing Inbred. It's on page 78 of the Giovanni book. Inbred. Inbred is a one-to-five-point flaw. Inbred, uh, inbreeding a common occurrence among the incestuous Giovanni clan can take many forms, and this flaw is best discussed with the storyteller before a player takes it for her character. I'd hope so. Uh, the inbred flaw covers all manner of physical, mental, and emotional defects. At one point, inbreeding is something simple and unobstructive, such as eyes too close together or an underbite. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Three-point uh, three inbreeding is more severe uh, congenital health condition for mortals or a crippling physical deformity. Five-point inbreeding are grossly disabling or emotionally crippling, everything from uselessly atrophied legs to a permanent derangement. Ooh. Uh, decided yeah. on mutually by the player in the storyteller inbred conditions. They may not be immediately discernible, though the point cost could be relative to the magnitude. Um, See, like I was kind of thinking of it as more of like an implied thing, but I just don't want to take hardcore like derangements from it. Or yeah, der- exactly. I just was thinking like maybe that could explain his, his potentially morbid. why. But like I think that maybe that being like more of a mystery is better. Yeah, we can always play that out, bro. We can always play that out. Yeah. yeah also, yeah. not interested in taking this, but yeah. worth mentioning the Shadow Walker flaw in the Giovanni book. Oh, would you see like the whole you see the underworld the whole time? Like you yeah. can distinguish the difference. Oh my god, that'd be so hard to storytell too. You it's know really I mean? cool. But yeah, that's yeah. like yeah, yeah, that's like would be difficult. But, so difficult. So right? no merits or flaws for me. Okay, no merits or flaws. So that's this that's perfectly fine. So now you have 15 freebie points that you can spend. Now, how freebie points, what they what you can spend them on is attributes are five dot per dot, ability is two per dot, discipline is seven per dot, backgrounds one per dot, virtue two per dot, humanity one per dot, and willpower one per dot. So do you have any idea what you're gonna spend your freebie points on? My idea was to put two dots into the ash path of necromancy. Yes, you can do that. Yeah. You can so do that. if it's a seven each a dot. So that would be 14 to give me two dots of that. And I can go over what that specific uh, path of necromancy is is all about because it's a pretty interesting thing, actually. Yeah, go ahead. I'll let you talk about since I talked about the last one. 
The Ash Path allows necromancers to peek into the lands of the dead and even to affect things there. Of the three paths of necromancy, the Ash Path is the most perilous to learn because many of the path's uses increase a necromancer's vulnerability to wraiths. So this is kind of like the necromancy path that involves um, kind of looking past the scenario and kind of interacting with that side, which is still a mystery to a lot of Giovanni's even like they're not sure like a hundred percent how it, how it works or operates, but yeah, it's like a total like fucking like risk every time that they involve themselves with it, which is crazy. Cause a lot of people have this misconception that the Giovanni are like these, well, I mean, they are master necromancers, but they know everything about the Shadowlands and wraiths and all the shit. Like, dude, they are so clueless. They're so clueless. They just know how to like interact with it or to maybe bind a couple, but there are things out there that like totally could destroy him. There's Giovanni that end up missing. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a risk. It's a total risk, which I'm so excited to play. And the first dot, he took a Shroud Sight, which uh, Shroud Sight allows Necromancer to see through the Shroud. Basically, he can see into the Shadowlands. And then Lifeless Tongues, where he can um, speak with spirits because they use their own form of communication, which I already have in mind, a way that's going to be done. Dude, it's going to be so metal if I could pull it off, man. Like, I don't know, but I've been like thinking, how can I make it interesting how wraiths speak? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not talking about accents, but just how they communicate. Now you have one extra dot uh, freebie points. <laughs> I was going to uh, so backgrounds are one point, right? I was going to use oh. that to backgrounds my, are one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They bring are. my resources up to three. three. All right, awesome. We we got the base character done. Now what I'm going to do is what I did for the players in Dread who are new to Dread is I'm going to give Adam the the equivalent experience that the players in Homecoming and Negligence got, so he could throw towards his character, which is going to be sixty experience. It's going to be. 18 for the six sessions in negligence, which is three per session. The 21 for the seven sessions in homecoming, which are three per session. 10 for completing negligence and 10 for completing homecoming. So, which is a total, I'm going to round up to 60. So, you have 60 experience points that you can spend on. Now, experience point expenditure is uh, on page 143. So, what okay. are you spending your XP on, good sir? So I'll do the big things first. You do. So I want to get the next dot in Sepulchre Path Necromancy. Okay. So how much? Let's see. Um, my discipline current rating times five. Uh, so that will bump your necromancy up. Uh, and that will be 15 experience points right there. So that'll bump it up to four. And now bump. So that bumps up your necromancy and the Sepulchre Path to four right there. You are now down to 45. So next, I would like to get the first dot of Dominate. Dominate, okay. And that will be five points. So you are down to 40. Well, I think it's 10 points for a new discipline, right? Uh, Dominate's your in-clan discipline, though. Okay. So go ahead. Then what are you going to do next? I want to raise my perception one dot. Ooh, nice. So you're going to raise your perception to four, which that is... Attribute current rating times four, so that's going to be 12. That's going to bring you down to 28. Now, I want to, before, I want you just to pause real quick and I want us to choose a specialty for your perception. Okay. We continue on just so we can kind of know before we forget. So, perception specialties are can be when you can create new ones. You don't, you're not like pigeonholed into this. Attentive, insightful, careful, discerning, experienced. Let's do careful. 
careful. All right. Cool. He's a like a cold, calculated person. Well, yeah, of. you gotta be careful if you're fucking around with like the ash path. I would hope you know what I mean. Like that's some serious shit right there. All right, so let's go. As back. careful as a person can be when doing that kind of Dude, that nice. kind of craziness. All right, so we are on uh, twenty-eight points right now. All right, so then I want to raise my occult one dot. Okay, so that is ability current rating times two, so that's gonna be six. So that brings you to twenty-two. Uh, one thing I don't know if we should mention this now or if, uh, later, or if we should have mentioned it earlier. Um, I think I get one ritual. That's the thing, too. Yes, I was gonna um wait to see how many points you spent. How I'm gonna do is I'm going to whatever your ending dots are in necromancy. I will allow you to pick rituals depending on the levels as long as it adds up to like that dot. So let's say if you have five dots in necromancy, like I want this one level five ritual, I'll let you have it. But if you say I want this level three ritual and this level two level one rituals, or you know what I mean, like. We'll talk about like that because rituals are really weird. They don't fucking really explain how much they cost for XP and it's all like role playing. And I might even just give you all the rituals in there. You know what I'm saying? Depending on the dots of necromancy you have, you know, at least in the core book, you know what I mean? Because there's not a lot of rituals. I know you get a free one and it says on the experience cost. There is no ritual on there. It's not on there. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forget it. Yeah, we'll talk. Once we're done with this, we'll talk about the rituals. All right. Okay, I want to get one willpower, definitely. So willpower is current rating, so that would be uh, four. So that's going to bring you down to 18. Then I want to get one dot in uh, stamina. Okay, that's going to be... Because, you know, like rituals and stuff like that can be pretty trying on a person, especially the type of stuff he's into. So that brings you down to 10. You know what? I'm going to save the last 10. Maybe I'll uh, use it towards something big someday. Oh, wow. I like that. Okay, cool. Save the last 10. Smart. Like, guy. maybe I'll use it towards like a new dot at some point or something or yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Something like, like that. that. All right. Because it's like 10. I don't, I'm not trying to like just, yeah. just grab stuff just to, just to grab just it, to top it off. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, if it, if it was something that like fit, I would do it. But uh, what's the lowest generation? You can get 12th, right? 12th generation or 13th? 13th. So you're 13th generation. So, so let's talk about rituals. Yeah. I'll let you pick one level one. One level two, one level three, and one level four. How does that sound? That sounds awesome, dude. <clears throat> so for level one, I would like to pick one from the uh, Giovanni clan book. All right. What page? It is page 74. It is called Minestra de Morte. The necromancer obtains a piece of a dead body and simmers it in a pot with half a quart of vampiric vitae. It's it's kind of just like this old timey like witches stew type ritual where they boil part of a person's flesh and then the necromancer eats it. And um since vampires can can't eat really unless they have that like merit or whatever, yep. you know, it's like they have to eat it and then they'll like quickly just reject it, of course. Yep. But what this ritual does is it lets the necromancer know if the person became a spirito which is a wraith or a spectro which is a specter after they died so for somebody who kind of is dipping their toes into peeking into the sudario and like seeing how all that works it seems like a useful ritual to have to determine if somebody became a wraith or if they became a spectro and like you do not want to fuck with that don't want to call them up. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. 
All right, so that's uh, one level one. Okay. Okay, for the level two, I'm going with uh, level two ritual from the clan book again. I just really like the vibe of these. They kind of have like a very like old school Italian vibe. Kind so this of. one is called. I'm sorry the the title is in Italian. So like I'm I'm gonna fuck this up really bad. But it's a Occhio Deumo Morto. It's a level two ritual. Uh, the necromancer needs an eye from a corpse whose absent soul became a spirito or a spectro, and the eye is ritually prepared in a process involving incense, the new moon, and a period of midnight chanting. The chanting climaxes when the necromancer removes one of her own eyes Jesus. and replaces it with the one from the corpse. The kindred healing takes over and uh, seals that eye into the kindred's body. So if it succeeds, the necromancer permanently gains the shroud sight ability. Basically, the way that I understood it is like you could use it to see what like ghosts are up to, basically. Oh, nice. But um, yeah, I'm trying to like figure out how it works. This is kind of like a long one as far yeah. as like the mechanics of it and stuff. <laughs> the, the ritual has some major drawbacks. The first being that its proper result is hideously ugly. <laughs> yeah. One thing I did want to mention is like Marco is very Catholic. He reconciles like that as just being like a separate thing from like what he does. And I read something in the in the clan book that I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, he, of course he believes in God and stuff, and like God created ghosts and the and the Sudario and stuff for his own reason, like whatever. And that's not for me to understand. I'm I'm a Catholic. I'm not. You know, <laughs> like I'm not evil. I'm like, yeah, exactly. I'm it's brave. Like, you know, it's like obviously he follows the religion of of his family and stuff like that. Like you know, you wouldn't want to embarrass them, of course. So right. I was thinking that for the second ritual, I just right. um I really like the the imagery of that. It's just kind of like this old like I don't know, kind of old like world. old strega, you know, kind of uh, black magic weird yeah shit. witchery yeah. type witchery. stuff. It's cool. Yeah. All right, awesome. Okay, so level three ritual. Um, this one is from the rule book. It's a ritual of the unearthed fetter. The ritual requires the necromancer to have a finger bone from the skeleton of the particular wraith he's interested in. And uh, you kind of use it as a compass, basically. Oh, nice. Yeah, oh, yeah. You, you can hang the bone from like a thread and use it as like a compass. Awesome. For my level four ritual, I'm going to do. Bastone Diabolico. Explain. And this is the type of shit where I think it's like stuff he knows how to do, but I don't know if it. he would fuck with it. Yeah. Dire circumstances. Because, yeah. This is a, you remove the leg bone from a living person Whoa. and the donor has to, they have to survive the removal, at least for a little while. Then you have to submerge the bone in molten lead, which is obviously very easy to get a hold of. Uh, totes. You need to like have all the preparations to to do some kind of shit like this, but basically, what it does is it creates a devil stick, and uh, you can use it to hit ghosts. Use it to uh, <laughs> hit ghost uh, spiritos and spectros. It uh, is able to uh, hurt them. God damn, dude! Imagine how much humanity you're gonna lose if you fucking try that one. My favorite role. Sometimes you need to make a devil stick, though. So that's <laughs> Sometimes what happens, you, just, you just need to hit a wraith up the head, man, with their fucking own leg, dude. You know, like I don't know. I'm joking. Awesome. So we have covered all the dots. We have covered all the mechanics side of things. What we're gonna do is we are going to 
cover the narrative side of things. And we're going to take a deep dive into this character, do some narrative scenes. All right. So in this part, what we're going to do is we're going to be kind of going back and forth about some of Marco's past. I'm going to do some narrative scenes. And then we're going to basically catch up the story to where you all know about his background and what led him to where the story Eidolon is going to start. First things first, Marco, you obviously are part of the Giovanni family. You um, grew up in the Boston area. There's one distinct memory you have before we kind of go to the back and forth that you have that kind of has lingered in your head, but it's one of those memories that are always harder to remember because it's that it rides that thin, that thin veal of memory where basically we are too old to remember, but we're just quite old enough to have memories of it. And you're probably, if you were to guess, when you do the arithmetic in your head, you realize that you're probably around five years old or six years old. You tie that to memories of running on a playground and being kind of in a school environment. But you know, at one point, a woman that who you remember to be your mother took you out of school early one day, and you remember being in a car with her, and you remember being on the highway. You don't know what a high, you don't know what highway it was, but you just remember looking out of the passenger seat and looking at cars while she was passing them or looking at force and greenery on the side of the road. In your memory, it may be spring or summertime. And you also remember feeling a sense of unease because you, as a kid, you had your routine, your mother who you remember being the one who only raised you at the time. You don't remember there being a father would get you up in the morning. You remember living in a comfortable home. You remember having a a bedroom with, with some Dr. Seuss books and some toys. And you remember there being a lawn that you would play in. And you remember there being snow on a little driveway that you would kind of like slide on this little sled down. But you knew that something was up. You knew this wasn't your mom running errands. And you could even at that time you had, that very unique connection that all children have with their mother, especially young boys. You had this emotional connection with her where you could kind of sense a disturbance almost with her where she was troubled. And of course, she would put on a facade of looking down at you warmly and smiling at you. And you remember being so awestruck with your mother because you remember you look at your mother and you would see she would have dark, dirty, blonde, kind of wavy hair curly almost but like long and and in retrospect you definitely think you got the curliness of your hair from her but she also had though these beautiful brown olive shaped eyes they almost looked like they had some kind of asian influence to them but she also had though this beautiful skin it wasn't olive like yours but it was kind of tan be would be tan year round and you just remember she would look down at you as a child oftentimes. It would almost be like the sun radiating upon you, especially when she would show you love and she would smile. She was a very warm woman. She was very, very gentle with you. She was very calm with you, very compassionate with you. You were like her one treasure. It was like you and her going through life. So when you're in this car and you're looking up at her while she's looking down driving, you could tell she was putting on a facade of trying to look happy. It was that same shape of that sun, but the warmth wasn't radiating off it. And you could tell she was nervous. She also had this bad habit where she would chew her nails when she was nervous. And you would see that she was chewing her nails while driving. And you asked her where you were going. And she said, oh, you're going to take a vacation. And it was just going to be you and her like it always is. And you guys are going to start over new. It's going to be this new life. And you stayed in a couple hotels. You know, you would stay in hotels where she would go to these diners and get 
like a hamburger for you and a hamburger for her. And she'd come back like in these, those styrofoam kind of like to go containers with cold fries. The fries would be cold by the time she got to you. And you'd be watching this old raggedy TV with like three's company on the screen or some, some show from the seventies on there. And, you know, you'd be sitting in the, here, the AC from the, this cheap air conditioned wall, uh, window unit, you would, see the little quarters that you could put in to make the bed vibrate and you would laugh because your mom would put a couple quarters in there for you. So you'd sit there and vibrate. And then there was one night where you're in one of these hotels and you don't know where you're at at this point. You know, you've been on the road for a long time driving for a few days and you both are laying in bed and she has her arm around you and you're in your pajamas. You have like a onesie pajamas on and you hear this loud pounding on the door and your mom gets nervous right away. And you see she gets alert. And there's a second where you get nervous because you see she reaches down to her purse and pulls out something that you know to be a gun. And you see a moment where she's just sitting there and she tells you, go in the bathroom, go in the bathroom right now. And she kind of like forces you into the bathroom and she closes the door. And then you just hear this, doo, doo. and then you're, bitch, open the fucking door. And you're, you, I swear to fucking God, I'll fucking shoot you. Get the fuck away from here. And all of a sudden you see a crack and you just hear the door like kicked in and you hear like the chain that she had locked on there snap and you could hear this clearly through the cheap bathroom door and you just hear this ruffling and then you just hear like a muffled sound like your mom trying to scream and you're crying and screaming at this time and you're all like freaking out obviously and then all of a sudden there's silence and all you hear is three's company show coming from the tv through the door and you see the illumination with the street lights and the TV coming through that crack because the bathroom is dark right now. And then all of a sudden you see, you're looking at that light that's underneath that door. And all of a sudden you see it go dark, which signifies someone is probably standing in front of the door. And then you hear a gentle knock on the door and you hear this voice come through. Young man, open the door. Come on, open the door. I know you can hear me. It's all right, your mother's okay. Just open the door, young man. What would your character have done at that age? He probably would open the door because an adult is telling him to. And I think that's like, you know, even in a horrible situation like that, that's still kind of how like a lot of kids think. He probably has never seen adults act this way or something before. So like he opens the door. You open the door and you see this man. He's towering above you. I mean, you're five and you're looking up at him. He's looking down at you. He has these gray slacks on that have a crease that go down each leg. And he has these very high polished black leather shoes. He has a black leather belt on and he has like this navy blue polo shirt. He looks to be maybe in his 50s. And you're looking up at him for a second and you like follow up his arms. You see that his arms have like this coarse black hair, grayish though. It looks like it's grain and black arm hair. He has this nice gold watch and he has a really thick wedding ring on. And as you look up, you see like his gray chest hair coming out of the polo a little bit, and you see him looking down at you. He has a very well-trimmed gray beard that's maybe like a half an inch, but it feels in his face, you know, where it's not shaved to be clean. He has a sharper nose, but he has these really piercing blue eyes. He has gray, thick gray hair that's kind of combed back, but you notice he kind of has like a little curl at the end of it. And there's a second, though, where you're like, oh, adult. But then there's a second where you're like, oh, your, your human instinct overtakes you for a little bit because you sense danger. You sense that like you're not comfortable around this man, no matter what. It's almost like the facade that your mom tried to put on that everything was okay when she was driving, except this man is throwing a facade of safety. But you realize there's something behind that. 
something scary, something that's the same thing as what was in your closet at night when you're when you would ask your mom to close it or something that would be like under the bed or maybe that thing that would come out and grab your feet if your feet were out from underneath your blanket when you go to bed and he's looking down at you and he's like, it's okay, Marco. It's okay. Your mother's going to be okay. And you're going to be okay too. My name is Silvano. I'm going to be taking care of you, okay? Until your mom's better. Then when your mom is better, you'll be able to be with her again. Okay? And don't worry. There's a whole family that's going to help you out and take care of you. But you got to promise me you're going to be a good boy. Are you going to be a good boy, Marco? Marco is just scared shitless. And you know the that type of thing that kids do when they're just crying so much they can't really get the words out to like yeah. tell you what's wrong? Mm-hmm. And it's like their breathing is just like totally crazy and he's just like i promise it's all right it's all right and you see he puts his hand on your shoulder and you feel like that trembling from you crying but you also feel this instinctual trembling marco would probably uh like wet himself actually so when he puts his hand on your shoulder all of a sudden you feel the release and there's a moment where you look down and you see like on your sky blue onesie pajamas you see like a darkness spreading and you could feel the warmness of your urine running down your leg as it collects into your footsie. You can see that it's making its way through the material and it's dripping on the floor. And there's a moment of shame, like instinctual shame you feel because like you had gotten over this. Not too long ago, you had gotten over wet in the bed. And you see there's a moment where Silvano looks down and you see a moment like his eyes become like stern. And then you see his jaw clench. And you see his neck muscles get all tense. And you see like, and his eyes close and he like trembles a little bit. And then he, and you see he just shakes and then he stops shaking for a little bit. And you see like he's almost overtaken by like his muscles are relaxing. And he looks at you and he's like, you need to calm down. And when he says that, you feel yourself, you're staring at him. And you feel like almost like you don't want to listen to him. But you feel like the sense of calm overtaking you. And that urine that's running down your leg in the wet pajamas doesn't really bother you anymore. And you see he stands up and he looks down at you. And then he looks out into the room that you can't see from the bathroom. And he's like, Claudio, come here and take the boy. He needs to be changed. And you see his figure come walking up. He looks to be about 270 pounds. He's somewhat obese. He's not muscular. He looks to be about six foot one, six foot two. You see when he walks, he kind of has this weird limp almost while he walks. He's wearing brown pants they too are creased but that polyester crease that's always there no matter if you wash them or dry them and he has like these black loafers on and he has this tucked in plaid shirt that's like green and black and it's tucked into his pants but he doesn't wear a belt but it's like almost like they it stays there on its own and he has this gut that kind of like hangs over and you see he looks down on you and he has like this kind of like a like his hair looks like it hasn't been washed too long it's it's kind of the same color as your mom's, but it's like a little darker. And you see he has like acne that's kind of like on the side of his cheeks, but his face looks soft, like baby soft still. Like he doesn't have the ruggedness of like this man that you saw. And he has this, his hair kind of is like, looks like it has the, the grease from it being unwashed. It hangs back behind its ears and it looks like it goes down to the middle of his neck. And he has almost the same shape brown eyes that your mom had. You see he looks down at you and you see Silvano is like this is your uncle Claudio he's going to take you to get changed and you're going to go on a car ride 
you're going to be a good boy, right, young man? And uh, Marco just kind of wipes the tears and the snot from his face uh, onto his sleeve, the sleeve of his pajamas, and he just nods his head and probably takes the bigger man by the hand. And you feel this big man's hand like encompass yours, your tiny hand, and it feels clammy and, and, and warm as he like while you walk through this room and you're looking like you see your mom's purse there, you see your mom's suitcase, but you don't see any sign of your mom. And you go out of this motel and you go out the front door and you're on the sidewalk and you can feel like it's it's a spring night, so you can feel it's a little cold, but it's not cold, and you just see the stars out and you see like calm parked cars, but then you see one car that has like three figures of men that are, are sitting around it. And you see another car just took off like it might have been with them. And you see as the three figures are standing there, they kind of like start paying attention to the door when they see Silvano walking out with this man who identifies himself as your uncle Claudio. And Silvano goes up to them and Claudio takes you to a different car. It's a brown Oldsmobile car. And you see that he gets, he opens the back door and he kind of like just motions. He doesn't see anything, just kind of motions you to go in the back there. I just crawl into the back where he's indicating for me to go. And you I'm feel, kind of just totally complying because I'm so scared. And you're wet and you're, you feel the wetness of wetting yourself still, you know what I mean? And he closes the door behind you. And when he closes the door, you can kind of hear like a, a muffled voices of Silvano talking to the other three folks because they're next to you. And he's like, Silvano tells one of them, he's like, Tell that bitch Rita, she's been found, and he's been found. And you hear Silvana walk to the pastor's side of the door, and he opens the pastor door. And you can hear like that, you know, those cars where they had the metal thumb thing where you have to push it in to open the door. And the door like squeaks open, opens up, and he gets in, and he's like, Claudio, time to go home. And he looks behind at you, and he goes, and we need to get you changed. So stop at the next rest stop. And then slowly the car backs out. And that was the last time that you ever saw your mother was that night years slide by at first there's promises of oh she'll be back soon don't worry you lived in this house with silvano but it was larger than any house that you had been in matter of fact you weren't even sure at times who all lived there it wasn't like you were in a family with silvano it wasn't really like you were in a family with claudio there are so many figures that were going through here you had nannies who would occasionally take care of you you had claudio who would go do errands at night Sometimes you'll see Silvano. He was a busy man. He was doing business all the time. You noticed throughout these years when talking with Silvano, though, you often noticed that tension that you saw that night when you peed yourself. But it would hit him at random occurrences. He'd be talking. He'd be in the middle of a conversation. And he'd just be like, come. And he'd be in the middle of a word. And you see like his jaw would clench and his neck would clench. And his his, his eyeballs would be like closed. And you see like the tension just going all through his head. Sometimes you notice he would grab things and like, like the edge of a table or, or a fireplace mantle or along the wall. There was a couple of times where you swore you heard like stuff crack when he would do that. And then he would go calm and he would look at you. And you kind of grew used to this. And you found that this environment that you grew up in was full of oddities. You noticed your uncle Claudio was an odd individual. Didn't hardly speak. Kind of seemed slow at times. He was nice though. He cut off the crust of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches while he'd give it to you. Or he would kind of sit there while you would play teddy bears and he wouldn't really play, but he would just kind of be a figure there to sit with you. You didn't really have other kids though to play with. You had tutors who would come in when you were younger and kind of take you through your lessons. You had random strange people who would come at night, some who would kind of peek in on you, some who 
Silvana would introduce you to, and you would just shuffle away usually. So let me ask you this. We'll say that was probably up until like the age of eight, nine, 10. You know, we say once you kind of like the hormones start kicking 11, 12, 13, what were, what were you like in that environment? Did you still want to go to school as a tutor? Were you starting to feel like you want to connect with people? I think that probably as he reached adolescence, he kind of started to realize that he wasn't going to see his mother again. And um, he kind of just like made himself come to terms with that. He made himself adapt to the reality that he was going to be living in. And he's not even really entirely sure like what that would all entail, but he just knew that he wasn't going to see her again. You know, I imagine it's kind of maybe how like um, other people who, ha- who like have like a family member who's like a missing person or something, right? Yeah. It probably gets to like a point after like however many years where they maybe just like have to like accept or something. Acceptance. Or- yeah. The final stage of grief. Yeah. Like so like, right. Yeah. Yeah. So like when he like reached adolescence, he, he like kind of had this like acceptance, but that also caused him to be a very angry person. Um, that kind of stunted him in a way. I should also just mention just like his lack of interaction with just like other kids and stuff like that. And just like only seeing uncle Claudio and uncle Silvano and just like random, just like older people that he gets introduced to and he probably even knows like he's not even like really part of this like family or something like he doesn't know like i don't know if uncle claudio well uncle claudio like kind of uh seems like his real uncle but he's not like sure like his mom never mentioned these people not uh, at all not at all yeah you didn't know any of these uncles was there any time that you ever like tried to find out information from silvano or from claudio or from anyone like were you ever trying to pry them for information or were you, did you internalize it or? Maybe when he was younger, he might've tried to, but he's always had just like a very strong fear, probably of Silvano, especially like when he was, when he was younger and uh, uncle Claudio, like, I don't know. He doesn't think uncle Claudio could really like give him answers. He's just kind of like a more simple guy and stuff like that. And it's like, he's been like kind of like a caring person to him somewhat. So he's not, he doesn't want to like rock the boat with what he feels is like the only thing he has now. He kind of has like a little bit of probably Stockholm syndrome where he's just totally sided with these people that took him from his family. So your fear of Silvano prevented you from confronting him really about what happened and and the simple-mindedness of claudio was like you kind of knew at this time because i would say you're a pretty intelligent i mean you're, you got two in intelligence but you're a pretty perceptive person you know what i mean and and that could have developed started developing at this point and you kind of just put two together like i'm not going to get answers you know what i mean like, and as i grew older i kind of just accepted them because they were the only figures in my life basically so like even though i did definitely resent them from taking me away from this happy childhood that I could have had. It's like, still, this is the only thing I have now. And this is, this is what I'm about. So did your anger, how did it, how did it formulate? How did it show itself during these adolescent years? Cause I have an idea, but I want to hear how your anger like started coming out because I have this idea that your anger, I guess I'm kind of interjecting, but we, we, I feel this idea of, I have this, your anger could have been so bad that they send you to Catholic school for like your high, your junior high or high school, you know, that you go to a Catholic school. It could be in Boston. You could come back home, but they feel like, Hey, you need structure because you're not, 
getting the structure from their environment. Yeah, I definitely think that that would fit his background and kind of help to explain the way that he is now would be having like that sort of stricter Catholic school environment, especially in those days, you know, like whenever it would have been early 70s or whatever, like, you know, that was when they were still like whacking kids on the knuckles with rulers and stuff like (laughs) that. So I have this scene pictured in my head. And again, please interject if you don't feel this fits your character. Okay. But I just like imagine the scene where your anger first starts showing up where like you're, you know, cause this house that you lived in with, uh, Silvano was it like a, a mansion pretty much. It was a private grounds. You know, there was like multiple bedrooms, multiple bathrooms. There was like studies, den areas. There was like a huge backyard with, you know, where you could play at. And it was a very like interesting maybe area as a kid, but with it not really being, it wasn't set up. The environment wasn't kid friendly. You know, it wasn't, there, there wasn't a lot for you that was aimed for you. This was aimed for almost like an older generation. It felt like, and I could picture the scene where like you're in like this dining area. You're probably playing like a board game with Claudio, something like shoots and ladders or something to that. No, that's maybe like Uno or Monopoly or something like that. You're playing some game that adolescents people can play. Adolescent kids can play. And something happened where you didn't get what you wanted and you just fucking freak out. You have like this fucking like, epic tantrum where you break shit you know there's like dishes like on display or whatever nice dishes are in these cabinets that's in this dining area you just go out you start hucking them and claudio's just like just staring at you like doesn't know what to do you know because he's barely talks and, and then you're done and you're just looking at him and he's looking at you and there's all these dishes all over the place you're breathing all hard and he's just sitting in this chair like waiting for you to go you know buy boardwalk or you know or pay pay the hotel fee a monopoly that you're supposed to play now would that be too extreme for your character or how were you thinking the anger showed up? No, I think that that actually makes perfect sense. Um, I think he's probably just this kid that's just been running around this big house with you know nobody his age to play with and stuff like that. When he hits adolescence and he's just, I don't know, he, he just is getting more wild and he has like no outlet or anything like that really. And it's just like, he's yeah. just becoming more of like a handful. He's becoming more yeah. of just like, a, and not even like, not even like in um, really crazy ways, but like you said, just like temper tantrums, just like uh, trashing like a room or something like that, or just having a fit and just disobeying everybody, not afraid of the consequences in that moment, or just like stuff like that. That's just like things that like kids like do to their authority figures, you know, mm-hmm. but it's just magnified by the fact that he doesn't have like a normal upbringing really not at all i mean you have maids and you have like i said nannies who come about or or tutors and then you would see silvano at night when you get back from work and he would just be like not even address you or not even you know and i I don't know maybe you were relieved because you still had that instinctual like uncomfortableness around him but you just never had a connection with any of these people they were all these satellites that surrounded you and they were emotionless and they just weren't, there was no connection. And the one person you had connection with is gone. So it's almost like when the anger came also along with it came acceptance in a weird way that like, you're like, okay, I'm giving up hope on my mom. I've accepted she's not back, but now I'm fucking pissed. You know, like I know that that is the reality. Now I'm pissed. So how did Catholic school go for you? Cause you mentioned in the first part of our pro, uh, prelude, how, you were very Catholic. How did, how did Catholic school go for you? We'll say you went from like seventh to like graduation. If you graduated, how, how did that go for you? You definitely hated it, but it 
definitely became one of those things where like it's like how do I say it? It's like the uh it's like the pain that he's used to, you know? So he just like still like internalizes it and seeks it out. Like that sort of like rigid discipline kind of like stemmed into a lot of the problems that he like kind of has now with his masochistic. sort of like sadistic and masochistic tendencies and stuff like that probably comes from when he first went to Catholic school and just like, you know, acting out, getting disciplined by nuns. Did just you like that, it? He hated it. And like, he did love it. And it's like, I don't know, really know how to like describe that, but it's like what he seeks out almost. It's like, it was attention. He was getting attention. He was getting legitimate. Like, you know what I mean? These, these Catholic nuns who would do that. They were there. They were angry. They were strict. They wanted you to behave. They cared about you in a fucked up way. So when they bring that pain to you, you maybe related that to like, they're not like the people at my home. These are people that are connected to me. And I think this is kind of where Marco starts to develop. It's, it's almost like a weird, like sexual kink that he has, like as he's yeah. older is just because like, he does feel like he is bad. He did something bad. That's why his mom was taken away oh. and he needs to be punished always. And like he acts bad and they, punish him and he feels temporary like absolvement almost and it's like this release for him to feel like abuse from those authority figures really he feels like once they dole out that punishment on him once they like hit him or do whatever he's served you know he's like he's made up for those sins basically and like it kind of is like also going along with the sort of teachings have kind of been instilling on him about you can apologize for your sins and stuff like that. And he's just like, this is just like how people serve for their, for their actions and stuff. But he's sort of developing this kind of twisted, like perverse kind of yeah, um, pleasure from it, pleasure from being abused by people and like, kind of just like eventually we'll be doing that to like, you know, people as well. So like, I think kind of he, yeah. So he hates Catholic school, but, it also kind of stems this this dark path he's going down. And, like, it's something that, like, you know, obviously... It's really like, tragic if you think about it, though. It's really fucking tragic because, like, yeah. he had, like, his mom or whatever that you know of now definitely didn't want, probably want him around this shit, you know? Like, this wasn't what your childhood was like before that night in that cheap hotel, you know? Fuck, dude. So what was his teenage years like i mean did he did he have interest in girls was it guys that he was interested in or was it like did he did he try to like smoke weed go drink or like what was his teenage years like when it came to all that stuff he was like he tried to like be interested in girls and stuff he tried to just um do like the regular teenage shit for for you know stuff that kids do for kicks but he never found satisfaction in it all the girlfriends that he had, you know, it never worked out because he was just kind of like a control freak and kind of a dick, a dick. Yeah. yeah. Just like not a good person, really. And I think because of that, he kind of rejected that sort of like, oh, yeah, like I'm going to have a girlfriend. I'm going to have like a sports car and stuff like that. He was very, you know, he tried to do all that stuff, tried cocaine, all the all the shit that like kids do, but he never really like. He was hurting so bad that he never was satisfied with with like any of that. He's kind of a spoiled brat, but in a way, he's also just very poorly socialized. Mm -hmm. He didn't have the proper type of people to like teach him how to like 
interact with people and how to be like a going back to the dots like he has zero empathy like he doesn't really know how to like relate to people and feel their pain and stuff like that so as a result he's just been a dick to everybody he's tried to be friends with any girl he's tried to date and he's a handsome guy he's been able to get attention from anybody he wants to but i mean he's charismatic too so were you pretty popular like in catholic school like were you like someone that girls would try to like you know men would try to emulate girls would try to go out with or like what i kind of think of it like yeah he was he was probably kind of like a not like a jock because he wasn't athletic but he was kind of just like a sadistic bully or something well he had that that nobility vibe to him too we have that as your you know string so maybe you know what i mean like you exuded he is kind of the person who likes to see the worst thing happen like and like he just likes to so like he he like to see like other people kind of like suffer and stuff like that. And like in school, he was able to use like his position of being like an attractive person, being a person who's charismatic and stuff like that to make other people suffer. And um, did he have a reputation for that? Or was he he probably had kind of like a bad kid reputation a little bit. I'm thinking of, um, like basketball diaries kind of Catholic. School. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. 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 I feel yeah. Like, like taking but, kills <laughs> with his friends and shit like that. Yeah. Smoking in the bathrooms and just like kind of just being a real piece of shit, but also like a rich and spoiled piece of shit too. How did he do academically? Was it easy for him to kind of understand the classes or did he have trouble with classes or did he not? He was himself? very smart. Mm-hmm. He could ace classes when he wanted to. And oftentimes he did and oftentimes he just didn't because he didn't care and if he felt like it he could just he could just learn it do it very bright person likes books not like an anti-intellectual person at all because like a lot of kids are like try to give off like an anti-intellectual vibe he's into knowledge and stuff like that but he only likes school when he likes it when he's in the mood for it when he really. wants it he's not yeah. gonna by anyone else's he doesn't rules. he doesn't get or care that like the reason why he's in school is to like better himself or something he's i mean he has like, no goal well, this is just yeah he yeah. doesn't he really doesn't he has he's no kind of just yeah <laughs> i mean really your your example figures are your your uncle who's kind of slow and your other uncle who you know what is just kind of off-putting and you really you know you're not like told that your goal is to get the white picket fence. You, I mean, and I would even almost say that like you, maybe when you were younger before Catholic school, or maybe even during it, like some of these nannies or maids or whatever, you maybe like would get snippets of their personal lives or, and they would always, you'd get this weird sense from them because they would like explain having a husband or having a kid and the kid going to college. And you would just be probably want to absorb like, cause you'd see it on TV. You'd see these normal life, you know, stuff and these, sh- these sitcom shows and stuff. You have one evening uh, in your senior year, the beginning of your senior year, you came back from your Catholic school. You were still in your outfit or whatever. And it got, it would get darker earlier at this time. It was fall in Massachusetts. And, you know, so it would get darker. So around like 637, I would say eight o'clock, you would, you were in your room. Imagine whatever your teenage room would look like. I wouldn't know. It was a pretty big room though. You know, it was, it had like this big canopy bed. It had this big wood desk that had a typewriter on there you even had your own phone like in the room and you had this big picture window like this big uh, old school you know mansion windows you know the big ones you could open up and you could look out at the backyard there and you had this huge walk-in closet and it's like a wood floor really nice like deep 
wood floor and you hear a knock on your door and you knew by you know at this point by the knocks the different people do on your door who it is and you know at this time it's silvano and you hear the knock on the door he's like can i come in yeah come in and he comes in he closes opens the door and closes behind him and he you have like this nightstand by your bed that's like it's made of oak also like that kind of matches the floor and you ha- there's this chair that's next to there for like sometimes you just throw like your stuff on there he like moves like your school jacket off there and takes your backpack off of it it's like this old antique kind of chair that has like a velvet wine colored velvet cushion and back into it but it's made of wood and he kind of sits in there and you're sitting on your bed and he's like so what are you planning to do once you're done with school what do you mean once you're done doing the shit that you're doing what do you th- what do you think you're gonna do after that he's like looks up from his comic book and kind of just like drops it onto the ground beside his bed well whatever you want me to do uncle and you see he's just staring at you and and there's a moment where you're starting to feel unease because there's these moments where there's silence and he just looks at you and you're something about him you're just like god he looks so like it's like you're always like thinking like you need to get some fucking sun, you know, or he just always looks like kind of palish to you. And, and his eyes always seem like extra sharper. Cause like, you know, you and Claudio have darker eyes, but he has lighter eyes and he's just like staring at you. And he's like, you're going to go to Harvard. You're going to go to business school out of character. That's what we decided your guy was going to do. I don't want people to think I'm shoehorning you into a role, but out of character, we decided that Marco was going to, I'll let you tell like what, 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 what did Marco do? uh before he was embraced like what was his business i, I should let everyone talk about that i don't want people to be like god no damn, no no what he's even doing you know i honestly like i appreciate it because it it helps me kind of make sense of like just the things i wanted yeah. this guy to be uh yeah he definitely went to we can say harvard I, I didn't have like a specific school in mind but i wanted him to go to like a good school probably got in based on family connections and stuff like that although he was smart and basically when uncle Uncle Silvanio tells him the plan. He just feels compelled to do it. So he's just, he says, you're going to Harvard. And all of a sudden things just kind of change for Marco. And he's just like, okay, like I'm going to go to Harvard. And even though he like kind of keeps his, his attitude, his kind of spoiled kid, kind of like snotty attitude, he does actually try really hard. And uh, lo and behold, he gets accepted into Harvard and he follows his uncle's plan eventually just like working in like a business a family business of some sort yeah we'll talk about the business and everything like that as we continue on oh hello again folks i'd like to tell you about the facebook group we run called white wolf and onyx path rpgs gameplay and media have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts or just media in general that deals with your favorite White Wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded? One that won't be drowned out by random posts and discussions so that your media could give the attention you deserve. The group is specifically run with the sole intent of being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. The group is already immense and continuing to rapidly grow, with new media being shared every day. Stop on by 
we hope to see you there.